sharing huge space. Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite of the conditions he won in Lords. Rain soaked Lords. They're getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is going to do it. He's going to smash the time. Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling. Hello, hello. How is everyone doing? And welcome back and thanks for downloading the show. And if this is the first time, well, welcome. This is Moving the Needle Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Nietling. I'm hoping to provide some sort of value, get some education out there, improve your riding. Hey, maybe I'm just going to add some entertainment. Well, the next episode, something different. I've reached out to my former mechanic, John Kniper. He had a dream of working in the mountain bike industry, and he followed that all the way from Florida to California, straight out of high school. We had such a good time on the road. He always had a positive attitude. I learned a lot from him, as well as he worked with the likes of Eric Carter and many others. So guys, sit back, wherever you are, enjoy this show. It's a little bit different. We're not reaching out to a top athlete, but this guy reached the top of the mechanic world. So have a listen. Yeah, but uh, you're not scared of an energy drink. I remember many a late night mechanic session, that garage of yours, working on our bikes before the Euro World Cups. Oh, man, I, I used to, I know. And I used to like get them at the races too. Like we go to Mont St. Anne and they'd have some. And oh, dude, what a, what a blast we had. Hopped up Amazing. on Mount Dew, fool. Tribute to Monk. We got it. We'll chat about Monk. That's for sure. I got a, I got a funny story about him. Uh, yeah, that's cool, man. Everyone does. That's great. That's such another key thing. We, uh, we can, we can bench race about Monk. So I am sitting here. Unfortunately, not face-to-face. That'll be a nice way to catch up with a, a great friend of mine, a man that actually followed his dream all the way from Florida to California, basically the American dream in a nutshell, and he made his way from working straight out of high school at GT, made all the way to World Cup mechanic ranks, and now he's a full-time wizard with a car, my good friend, John Kniepa. How are we doing? Doing great. What's up, everybody? Great to be here. Man, <clears throat> This is, uh, I'm looking, yeah, I've been looking forward to this. This would be good. Yeah, I think this is such a positive uh, bonus to starting this podcast. It gives me a good excuse for us to reach out and, and have a catch up because we spent, well, a lot of our, our younger years uh, chasing uh, race results and all sorts of other things around the world. And now we're forced to sit still, I think, reflect on, on simpler times. Yeah. Oh, dude, it's I an mean, amazing experience. I mean, what an opportunity. And we uh, we really had it good all over the world together. And, uh, dude, I have vivid memories of so much of it. And you know, I was a big, uh, big part of my life. And uh, it was the yeah, man, it was it was really, really good. And it's uh, it's still it, you know, and I still uh, it still comes into play today, even though I'm doing the cars, a lot of what I learned as a mechanic, it, you know, it transfers over. So, but yeah, we had a blast. Well, I mean, that's a big thing about the mountain bike community is it, it is like a family. There's everyone with like-minded interests. And you said you're full-time into the cars and, and we'll dig into that. That's a big passion of yours. But a passion of yours is bikes. And for the listener at home, catch him up how you got that passion and how you got into the bike industry straight from high school. Absolutely, man. Yeah, so I got into mountain biking at an early age um, from Florida. And that's uh, that's the land of no mountains, which is pretty funny but um yeah man i got into it about i don't know 11 or 12 years old and uh even though there was bmx track in my hometown which was pretty popular i just kind of uh 
lean towards the mountain bike. I think I picked up a mountain bike action and I just liked mountain bikes. They had the gears and the big tires. And to me that it just civilized adventure and, you know, could go anywhere and do anything. So, um, I got my first mountain bike in 1992. It was a GT. So, uh, a lot of people know that I'm a, you know, long time GT fan. So I got my first, uh, my first bike was a GT performer and I had that. And then I transferred over to the mountain bike, but, um, grew up in Florida, racing cross country, um, riding the trails, uh, all over South Florida, West Palm beach, Fort Lauderdale, Miami. Um, everything's flat, but really tight trees and whatnot. But it was, uh, my parents would take us, you know, take me all over, uh, the state and, you know, go do races. And I had a few good friends that were, uh, were doing it as well. So we just had a blast, man, and kind of living our adventure and, you know, inspired by the, the magazines. There wasn't too many videos out at the time in the, uh, you know, in the early to mid nineties, we're talking like maybe 94, 95, where, you know, where, uh, that was really when I got the start. I do remember I'd come home from school and I would, uh, I'd watch the Grundig World Cups on TV. And that's when like, you know, Julie Furtado, and, you know, Tomac and stuff. And that was a big deal. And it would be like on the outside network. Yeah, that was during the heyday when there was big money and then it kind of dipped when we worked together. So so there was there was a bit of inspiration potentially subconsciously to maybe get to the World Cups on some level or Correct. Yeah. So I'd see the races and how big this was, right? And I was just inspired towards that. So, you know, I'm racing as a teenager, uh, loving the sport. Um a big deal for me was that uh it's sixteen, uh one of my best buddies that I rode with in Florida, his, uh, he was from Italy, um, and his family, they, they had moved to Miami, but, uh, they had, they had a hotel over in Italy. And, uh, so they came up with the idea that said, Hey, we're going to send you kids over there. Uh, in night, this is in 1995, um, in Northern Italy, um, not far from Val de Sol actually. And they said, Hey, we're going to, you know, you're going to go over there for a couple of months and stay in the hotel and race the Italian cup. So, dude, we're, we're 16, like 15, 16, you know, cross-country kids from Florida. We really have no place in the Italian Alps, but we did it for an experience. So, uh, Motorola from the States, they actually kind of heard about us. So, they gave us help, gave us jerseys, and gave some money to go over there. So, we went over there. And we stayed in, uh, we stayed in the hotel, in the family hotel, for about a month and trained, you know. But we did. We'd, we'd ride every day and all through the Alps, and it was killer. And, uh, and then they, uh, that was for the first month. And then the next month, each consecutive weekend, four in a row, there's four races, we did the Italian Cup. And uh, I think uh, Paola Pezzo, she was, uh, that name comes to, to mind, cross-country chick from Italy. Anyhow, all the big names were over there. And that was a big deal for us, too. Uh, that was my first experience of, like, uh, you know, world-class racing. So, you know, did that. And, uh, oh, man, we were so into our bikes and, you know, magazines, looking at the pros, all that stuff. And Got back from that, and then I did my first Norba in 1995, and that was in Helen, Georgia. And uh, I remember that when I I drove up there and uh, in my in my VW bus, and again, dude, I was like 16 years old, and so I you know I pulled up to the Norba, and what a scene it was, man! It was just it was awesome, and all the privateers were really cool too. So I mean, it was it was just packed with people, and uh, it was just fun being there too, seeing cross country, uh, downhill dual song it was all happening all at the same time you know and a lot of those guys would race you know both disciplines 
you know, back in the day, you know, Tomac, he was slalom downhill cross country. You know, I'd be on the sidelines uh, watching cross country. You know, hand of water bottles to Tinker Juarez and you know, uh, Ned Overend, all that stuff. So, dude, I was yeah, you know, it was it was a big deal for me at a young age. And that uh, did that spur on this this idea to leave friends and family in Florida at a young age and do that kind of that American dream trek to California and you landed with GT. So right towards the end of high school, you know, super stoked on mountain bikes. I knew I was kind of reaching a, a plateau of what I could do in Florida, right? There's only so much, you know, only so far you can go in Florida with mountain bikes. And uh, at that time I knew what the normers were about. And that scene, um, I never really aspired to be like a, you know, a pro racer. I loved riding my bike, but I, I was always into the mechanics. I just, you know, when I go to the race, I was like, wow, man, look at these the setups of the pits and the trailers and the mechanics and how organized everything. This is cool. Like that'll be my niche. So, um, right at the end of high school, uh, graduated high school, I got a job in, uh, one of the local bike shops. It was like the coolest shop in the area. And, uh, and that was, that was really cool. I was there for about six months and had a really supportive crew. And then what happened is, um, one of the, the shop rep, the GT rep for the shop came in said, Hey John, you know, GT is going to be in town this weekend for the big BMX race. And they're actually looking for volunteer mechanics to, um, do some frame swap outs on these GT bikes. They had a recall on some BMX bikes. So he said, Hey, it's going to be a big deal. They're bringing a big truck of replacement frames. They need mechanics. So I put your name in the mix. So I show up to the BMX track and, uh, it was a big deal. They have the big trailer and the dually and, you know, they had shirts for us and toolboxes. And so I worked throughout the weekend as just a, you know, as a mechanic and doing these, uh, these frame swap outs. But I had a friend of mine, he was a bit older, kind of like a big brother figure. And he, he always knew that I was chasing that dream. And he says, Hey man, this is your chance right now. Find out who's in charge, go right up to him and tell him what you want to do. You've got to make it happen. This is this is a big opportunity. I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. So I did, and I went to the main manager uh, at the time. Uh, Brian Gass was his name. Still, I'm still really good friends with him today. I said 22 years after the fact, and uh, and I just told him, I said, hey man, I want to come to California, you know, and, and kind of be part of the big time, you know. And he's like, yeah, okay. All right, you know, what do you do you know anybody out there? I was like, no, I don't know anybody, but I just want to make this happen. You know, I'm, I want to be, I want to get into the industry, and if you give me a job to get my foot in the door, that would be be a big step for me. And uh, you know, I want to make this happen. He's like, huh? Okay, well, what happens if it doesn't work out? And I kind of paused and I went, I don't see, I don't even see it, I don't even see that as as an option. It's going to work out. I'm going to make it work out. <laughs> and so. You know, in short, I think he saw the initiative of uh, and the passion of how much I wanted to be out there and make it happen. Absolutely, so. a guy that's willing to trek across the country and and start at the bottom, and that's such a good lesson. You didn't give a shit; you just wanted to do it. Just totally, man. Nineteen years old, you know, that's what I wanted to do. You know, I had uh, I had opportunities to go to college, um, but I wanted to travel and and explore and and, and chase this mountain bike dream. Yeah, I, I knew I really felt that it could it could do something for me. So I told him that. And so at the end of that weekend, he was like, hey, man, I, I like your attitude. I like your work ethic. Um, I'm going to bring you up to Orlando next weekend and do another race. 
and we'll uh, we'll go from there. But uh, so far, so good. I was like, all right, cool. You know, he told me, he's like, you know, I'll you know, pay for your hotel, pay for your food. And I was like, really? <laughs> that was a big deal. So the next weekend, me and my buddy drove up two hours north, and we did another race. And so at the end, he goes, hey, listen. He goes, I really like your attitude, um, and I'm going to do my best to find something for you, you know, preferably, you know, working under me, maybe do an internship, see how it works out. But I'm going to get back to you either way. I was like, all right, awesome. And, uh, and I believed him, but you never know. Um, I mean, dude, he could have easily just got somebody right down the street in California from the GT office, you know, instead of taking his chances with a kid from Florida. He called me two weeks later at the bike shop. And I remember, you know, the, the bike shop owner, he, he picked up the phone. He's like, yeah, he's right here. And then he kind of, you know, Craig, the owner, he kind of covered the phone. He's like, hey, dude, it's, it's the guy from GT. I was like, oh, shit. And he's like, hey, John, it's Brian from GT. Hey, man, listen, I got an internship for you. You're going uh, to work under me for the summer do all sorts of things, uh, BMX races, marketing events. We'll go up to Big Bear, do some mountain bike races, and just kind of kind of get you in the mix. And he goes, and then if, if all goes well, I already got a spot for you in the customer service department um, afterwards where you can stay and, and continue. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, wow. He goes, but here's the catch, dude. I need you here in 10 days. And I was like, uh, uh, okay. So I had 10 days to make it to California. And if, you know, anybody knows, I mean, it takes about a good four or five days to cross the country. Well, I had a, had a little VW bus, 1965 VW bus. And, uh, and yeah, I went home, I told my parents, I told my friends, I said, hey, I'm going to California, I'm gonna make this happen. And, uh, and that was it, man, I packed everything up I had and, uh, and I drove across the country. And I had never driven across the country, you know, solo. Um, and I just, yeah, man, I hopped on I-10 and, and just went and had that California dream, and I showed up, and, uh, and I guess, yeah, the rest is history. You know, I show up at GT. It was a big deal back then in Santa Ana. That was the USA factory. Like, GT back then is just the size of them. There were less bike brands as well, and they were just huge back then. Correct, yeah, they really were, and it was cool. They did a lot of USA production, and uh, there was so much happening under one roof, and um, I was really lucky to be part of that. I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, and uh, so I, I, I showed up in the spring of 1998 is when I when I arrived and things were hopping back then. They had the they had the biggest and best BMX team. Um, the mountain bike team was doing great. Uh, EC was on the team at the time. Uh, Petey, uh, I think Mike King. Yeah, Burrell had a stint there. Burrell. Uh, yeah, and Lopes Mer had the, Merce, yeah, a little bit Merce later, like gone. 01, Lopes was doing his own thing on a frame deal. Yeah, Correct. that was the heyday, so, wasn't it? It was. It was really cool. So, you know, back to the factory, that's where it really opened my eyes to um, how the bikes were made. Uh, they, you know, they had they had the welding facility right there where a lot of the frames were still welded right there. And, you know, in the in California and they had a heat treating facility um, where they put the frames into the oven and do that. Powder coating was down the street. We put the uh, we put the little water bottle bosses into the frames. We put the stickers on the frames. Um, just a lot of hands-on work, you know. Uh, this guy named Billy Griggs, he had his own little welding area. He would do all the trick uh, BMX bikes. He did some mountain bike stuff too. Um, and it just there was so much going on. So I absorbed a lot of that. I met a lot of key people, and it was just a an awesome experience to to take in, you know. And after work, you know. Um, We'd all get together. We'd go to Sheep Hills or the Slater Trails and ride 
um, it was really a, a big family. Everybody was really cool. Um, and we'd all hang out outside of work and every, there were so many talented people that it just, it was amazing. It was, it was perfect. It was really, it was a dream come true to, to get out there and be part of that and become friends with those people and learn so much. So, yeah. And through that commitment to driving across the country within 10 days, you are still committed to California. You've really made a, a proper niche for yourself. And you were able to travel the world. I mean, did you ever think at that time driving across in that VW, like that VW car, that you would travel the world and and be involved at the highest level in mountain biking? I I didn't. I I didn't at that time, but I I had an adventurous spirit and um, a lot of ambition. Um, You know, I would, I was, I had an attitude where I was, I was kind of ready for anything. And I think, you know, you got to have that when you're, chasing big dreams you got to be able to to have some some vision and and then know how to chase after it and uh but but you know it it was it was a cool feeling heading out there you know i was thinking about everything that could happen but i know i never thought i never thought it would be like on a on a worldwide stage um to me just being out in california was was big enough you know we'd we'd go to big bear for the weekend Uh, at that time that's when gt had the full-blown semi I mean, it, the the it's the biggest rig I've ever seen in mountain biking, um, full blown eight to this to this day, huh? Oh yeah, to this day, to this day for sure. Um, uh, I've seen all the big rigs in Europe, um, which are really impressive. But but nothing is big and as dialed as the GT rig back then, and uh, they had that thing set up at Big Bear, and uh, you know, see all the athletes, the bikes, and the cam. It was a big deal, man. It was really really cool. So that uh, so that lasted. That lasted for about two and a half years, and then unfortunately, um, what happened is is the company was sold. I think it emerged. I think Schwinn Pacific Cycle bought it, and unfortunately, it just everything kind of fizzled out, you know. And a lot of people um, started to leave and get different jobs because everybody knew the you know company was going to kind of end. Unfortunately, so I was there for the last you know two two and a half years of you know. Uh, of the the good times and then uh and then what happened is um after that they you know they were still around but they just downsized they still had like an r&d facility in lake forest which is actually right near the bike company and um so that's where they still did a lot of the r&d on the frames and kind of kept the racing going but as far as the factory itself that that shut down but uh i still kept all my contacts and um you know, I worked in a worked at the local bike shop in downtown Huntington Beach for a couple of years, and that was actually a lot of fun. But um, I maintained contact with uh, with my good friend John Agnew, and he, I had worked with him right at the factory before, and uh, so he had called me uh, years after. This is about maybe four years after uh, 2005, and he was like, "Hey, man, what are you doing?" At the time, I was down in Florida. Um, so you're back in Florida. You had moved back for a little brief. Yeah, stint. yeah. Let me go back a bit. Yeah. So, no, so no. I mean, that's that's so that's where yes. you were. You're at you're at Florida, and Agnew, a good contiguous, calls you, and that's because I do want to get to the point. I've got a funny story of how we actually met. So for the listener at home, right? Can so was it, yeah, the mongoose so, mechanic and my mechanic, and our meeting is hilarious, and it's because of your connection with Agnew and, and getting back on the road with him. I think driving yeah. some of the vehicles. Right, totally. So yeah, that that connection with Agnew was was key, 
and, and John was always super cool to me and kind of took me under his wing when I first moved out to California because he worked under the same boss that hired me. So John handled the whole BMX uh, team. He, he would drive the dualies and manage all the rigs and all that stuff. And he'd help me. Uh, you know, he just ta- taught me a lot, got me in the mix. So we had stayed friends, you know, all that time in between. Um, and actually just prior to him calling me, I had actually spent the summer in Whistler on my own dime. Uh, and I, uh, I drove my BW up there with a buddy and we got a place and we just rode mountain bikes and, and lived in the village. This is the summer of 2004. And, uh, so I was still, you know, still kind of chasing that mountain bike dream anywhere, you know, any way I could. And, uh, that was a lot of fun. So after that summer ended, I went back to Florida to just actually save some money and paint a car for my dad. So I was home in the winter of 05, you know, painted a car for my dad. And after that was done, I was thinking, well, okay, I got to, what am I going to do next? Like shit, like definitely going to go back out to California, but I guess I'll, you know, I guess I'll just go work in the bike shop for now because at that point there, there was no big companies based out there, you know, and I never, that whole, this whole world cup dream that we're about to talk about that, it wasn't, I didn't even know it was going to happen. So Agnew calls me and says, Hey, what are you doing? Check it out. He goes, I've just, you know, I'm back with GT, the restructuring of the team. It's, it's getting bigger and better. Um, we have Hyundai as a main sponsor. And my goal is to bring you in as like an assistant mechanic to help the mongoose mechanic and GT mechanic and drive these cars and get them set up at the races. And we're going to go all over. Um, and you know, in time you, you know, there might be an opportunity for you to be a mechanic. I was like, Whoa, like that's big. So it, it was almost like deja vu. It, it, the whole thing came, came around again and I'm in Florida and had this opportunity to join back up with GT. So it was the same deal, dude. He told me, he goes, Hey, listen, I need you out here quick. Like, like real soon because sea otter is going to be our first race. So, um, I did, I, I packed up again and was like, okay, here it goes again. And I drove back out and, uh, and within a few days he showed up, he's like, all right, here's your gear. Um, you know, bags, you get, you know, OGO bag. And I forget who the clothing sponsor was, but all sorts of cool clothes, this, that. And then we all drove up to sea otter and this is 2005. This is a year before you were you and I were on Mongoose, but then it, it started to get real. You know, then I'm like, okay, this is, we're going to be at the races full time. And, uh, GT and Mongoose were, you know, we're under the same parent company. So both, you know, both trailers were kind of parked together and, uh, yeah, man, it was, it was really cool. That's when I met Monk and Russ LeBaron. And, uh, so that, that was, that was a really good year in 05. Um, and we did, uh, did Deer Valley, Utah. We uh, you know, I drove cross country, but went over to uh, Mont Saint Anne, and then they they put me in the truck by myself because uh, they had, they went to the the World Cup in Brazil. So I had to take the GT truck and drive it from Mont Saint Anne to this little town in Texas to get a get a custom bed put on it. And then we went to Angel Fire World Cup, and then from Angel Fire we went up to uh, Idaho, Schweitzer, and that's that's actually kind of when I when I heard about you, you know, that you, you won that race and, and then EC showed up to that race too. Uh, he was injured earlier in the year, but he showed up to that race and any amount that, that was, yeah, that was, that was a really good year, um, where I started to meet people and, and get into the mix. And then, uh, and then what happened is, um, 
Russ at the time, he had a coffee shop in, uh, in his hometown and he went back and put more time into that. And that's what opened up an opportunity for me to be the mechanic for Mongoose. And so Agnew said, Hey, you know, next year we're going to, you know, we're going to, you're going to be the mechanic for Mongoose. But before we uh, get to you being a mechanic at Mongoose, you had to use some of this car skill. So we're at uh, one of the last races season and you ride. So I'd had some good results uh, riding under Sven and Anka's shop team. You mentioned the bike co and I had already been kind of asked by EC and I was in the truck and we hadn't quite met yet. But to me, this, I was kind of the same excitement as a kid when you said you saw these trucks and these, and these, these semis, like I, when I got over to America, to me, I was in awe of these setups and EC brought me into that mongoose trader that me and you would uh, share a lot of uh, road trips and, and miles in and, and all sorts of fun shit. And uh, he asked me if I wanted to be on the team because they're looking to add and, and he thinks I'll fit in. So I think both you and I were being courted by EC and he was kind of our mentor because you were newish to, you were a great mechanic, but a World Cup mechanic is different to a, a normal mechanic. You're under a lot more pressure. You've got to do things quicker. You've got to Correct. be a lot more prepared. You don't have the whole day to make a bike perfect. You might have to do it in 30 minutes or 10. So we hadn't met yet. And you had to put your car skills to the test because the way I remember the story is we're at one of the last races of the season and I'm fooling around in the pits and I'm kicking this American football around. And I punt, oh boy. I punt this thing and it goes off target and it smashes into one of the Hyundai sponsored cars you spoke about, right? Yeah. And, <laughs> and Agnew and I had met and I ran over and I was like, okay, I've got to own this. And I spoke about it on the Vital podcast, I think. So I went and said, you know, I'm super sorry. That was that was my bad. Um, you know, I'll pay for it. And I didn't even have money at that time because I was on the shoestring budget. And I was like, holy shit, dude, I might be ruining my chances for this factory ride because we were in contract talks. But then Agnew came over and obviously knew. So he said, no, don't worry about it. We'll sort it out. And then you, I think, told me that he went over to you and said, Kniebs, like, you can fix this, right? Because we got to get this car sorted, otherwise yes. we and you are in shit. So he was protecting me and his relationship, like we need to sign this kid. And he looked at you. He just said, yeah, we'll sort it out, knowing like he's not going to sort it out. You are going to sort it out because you were the mechanic and the car guy. Oh, I, I remember. I remember. So that was at, that was at uh, Snowshoe, West Virginia. Yeah. And that was, oh, yeah, that was 05. And yeah. And so he comes over to you and he just puts it all on you. He says, you better fix this car or what? Big time. And that was actually just, you know, he, I, I want to make sure he gets credit. This is, that was Dave Beeson. So oh, was it? Dave, okay. It was before Agnew. I apologize. So Ag, Agnew was the manager of the team at that time in, uh, in 05. He was, I don't think he was at the race. He, he may have been, but I okay. think Beeson, Beeson was at the race. So Beeson yeah, yeah, was, yeah. he'd, he'd handle the show when Agnew was doing other races or still doing some BMX stuff. So Beeson there, Beeson was a big fan of you. And yes, and uh, and me and Dave became really good friends. So he knew I was into the cars, and I think to, you know, alleviate, you know, telling, you know, management, oh, we got a dent. He was just like, hey, dude, can can you fix this? We got let's just fix this and get it over with, you know. And I was like, okay, so I'm pulling the, the back panel off, and I'm you know pushing the dent out, and this and that, and dude, we fixed it. Nobody ever knew or said anything. <laughs> well, was, I've got so many stories that no one ever it knew to fix things. Yeah. 
that was really cool. So that that was a really fun year where yeah, you know, got to, got to meet so many people, and um, shoot, man, at, at that time, you know, I was aware of who you were, but I I didn't, you know, and I'd hear names being thrown around about who was going to be brought on to Mongoose the following year, but I didn't, you know, I really wasn't sure what was going on. So um, anyhow, that you know, that was that was a really good season in '05, and then at the end of that season, I'm backtracking here. That's when when uh when Agnew mentioned to me that I was going to be the mechanic, but EC was really the, the main person that put, you know, that, uh, you know, approved that more or less, you know, they, he, they had to make sure that he was going to be comfortable with who was going to be wrenching on the team. And he really, really took a chance on me. Um, and he had told me, he goes, Hey man, listen, you don't know, but I've been, you know, I've been checking your work ethic throughout the, the season. I know you like to have fun and, party at night and this and that but i also think that you have what it takes to be a mechanic you know there's things you're going to need to to improve upon and there's a lot to learn but i think you can do it and he goes and the fact that we're based close uh, only about an hour away he goes we can spend time together you can train with me take me for shuttle runs work on the bikes and uh he goes i think it's going to work so you know i think you could be a good mechanic plus you're into the cars and you think you have some really versatile skills that, you know, that'll make you a, a, a good mechanic for the team. And I was like, wow, awesome. He goes, yeah, man, it's, it's a big deal. We're going to go all over the world. And I was, that's when it really hit me. I was like, whoa, this would be big. And, uh, and he told me, he goes, we're going to bring Andrew Needling on the team. Um, you know, and it's, uh, yeah, man, it's going to be awesome. And I remember right from the start, he goes, Hey, he goes, I'm going to tell you right now. He goes, you can, you know, you can party all you want. You can go, you know, you can, you can stay out to 3 a.m. You can do whatever you want, but you got to show up in the morning. You got to do a good job. There is, you know, the, the bikes need to be on point. Everything needs to be there at all times. And as, as soon as, you know, as soon as that, you know, starts to fail, it's, it's going to work, you know, so, so does the, so does the opportunity. So he just, he just pretty much said it really lightly, like, Hey, I'm giving you the chance. So if you, you know, make it, make it, make it happen and, you know, keep the job. So it was cool. And then, uh, and then from there, that's when I really started to embrace it and, you know, get more organized and got my workshop and garage all dialed in and, um, started to get all my organization containers and every, everything just, you know, I put hangers on the wall for the frames and the forks, rock shocks and ceramics started shipping me, forks and component groups and i you know, get all the frames it was you know tires and that's when uh when i really kind of picked up the pace and uh yeah embraced it but kaneeps i mean you've brought it up a few times and that's why i i think your story is fascinating and obviously we have a good relationship and i think there's a lot you can help the listener with from an aspiring racer to maybe an aspiring mechanic or a current mechanic because your work ethic is clearly what got you these positions are not just dumb luck. It's not just because you knew somebody called. They called because they knew you would deliver. They knew that when push comes to shove, you would outwork people and you were dedicated. Yes, you were passionate, but that was key. And I think it rubbed off on us as well. I mean, you would stay late at night making sure the bikes were, you were super detail oriented as well. And I think a lot of people don't know the relationship a mechanic and a rider have or have to have to succeed. It's it's not just fixing the bike. There's a level of psychology at the top of the track. There's a level of, you know, work ethic. There's a level of trust that needs to happen. And I think, you know, a good rider can 
can race well despite having maybe a subpar mechanic, but a, a good rider can become a great rider with a, with a really good mechanic. And, and that's why I wanted to have a chat, you know, with EC as a mentor. And then he, he got injured at early on in the season of, of when I was on the team. And you went from having EC, the legend of the sport, to this little South African kid. And we, I felt at that stage, so Mongoose was my first factory team. And that was the first year you were fully as a factory mechanic. And we were both, I think, looking to be guided by EC. And that didn't quite work out. So we were kind of, I would say, winging it uh, for a lot of those races. Yes, we were. Good, uh, good point. And, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll go more into, you know, the, the relationship between the riders and, uh, and the mechanic and, you know, and how important that is. But, but yes, you know, you know, so when we started, EC brought us both on. And we we're both going to be, you know, new to, to this team. And, uh, and then unfortunately, just before the start of the, of the 06 season, he had, uh, he had injured his wrist. And, uh, so he wasn't, uh, you know, that was actually the, it was actually the first, the first race. It was the first race. It was Vigo in 2006. And, um, you know, we went over there, we we're all excited. He ended up, uh, having a bad crash in the four cross and, um, Actually, broke he broke his collarbone. That's what happened. He broke his collarbone, and and from right there, he was he was out for the rest of the season, pretty much. And, and so you and I were just kind of like, you know, it was it, not left on our own, but it was just you and me um, to kind of, you know, carry the the mongoose flag, you know, at all the races, and uh, that that made you and I, uh, you know, a lot closer because we had to really look out for each other, um, and we were, you know, always treated fairly by. Uh, you know, we travel with GT team, um, so we're all really one big family. But we, uh, it made us really kind of, yeah, look out for ourselves and and what needed to be done. And uh, yeah, man, that's that really kind of fast forwarded the the learning curve and responsibility. Um, and uh, you know, and like you were saying, just there, you know, a lot of late nights and just being on point. And it's there's more than just the bike. You know, you gotta, you know, I learned a, a lot about you know, uh, how you like your bike set up and you gotta, you gotta know, you know, everything from when the riders show up to the, you know, in the morning, you gotta be prepared and make sure that you know, bikes are dialed the night before, and, you know, tires are on the wheels and you got backups and, you know, tires need to be cut for like a mud race that needs to be done beforehand. Um, you know, extra parts that, that may need that you may need in the morning. You make, you know, you got to make sure you put that word in the day before with, with rock shocks and, and know what time something's going to be done. And, and I just started, you know, it made me start to really think, you know, think fast and move fast and be accountable. And, uh, you know, and in the, in the midst of all that, we're still having a great time and having great dinners and go out for beers at night. But even though I was just looking after one rider there's still, you know, still a lot to, to be responsible for. And you were racing, uh, you were racing four cross quite a bit as well. So that, you know, there's two bites that, uh, that need to be looked after and, and, uh, thought about a lot. And, um, yeah, man, we, we ended up being really good friends and, um, but you know, that's what helps when, when the rider and the mechanic relationship is close is you just become more in tune with each other and, and know uh, know each other's schedules and and just what what he you know 
what each person needs, you know, and, and the riders can help look out for the mechanics too. You know, you might see me scrambling in the, in the pits before we head up the hill. It might remind me to, Hey, make sure you get the trainer or, you know, make sure you get, grab that extra tire that we were talking about, uh, things like that. So we were really in tune with each other and, you know, shoot for the, for the three years, um, that we were on the circuit, we had very few mistakes or mechanicals that would that really, you know, cost you, uh, anything so um and you spoke about that i think um all these sports is a lot of team sports and and they obviously you're nothing without your team but i think mountain biking and there are a lot of other individual sports what's interesting to me there is a team there's the team manager there's the mechanic relationship there's all those things that have to come together and work and i remember those days and it was not due to lack of preparation it's just like we're a team we're going to the top of a hill. If this is the resources we have, if it's just me and you at that time, well, then I'll pick up the wheels and we'll go up. And the same with you. You, you were looking out for me after a race. You'd be like, hey, don't worry about that. I'll tidy that up. You go and get food. You go and get rest. I'll see you later. And right. depending on resources of a team, you wear a lot of hats. So totally. I, I remember that. And I think it's quite a key lesson. Like you, you can't just stay in your box or your lane. I'm the mechanic. Well, sometimes you would help be the chef. And sometimes Absolutely. I would help out. Say, you know what? I'll wash the bike. Like it's early week. I'm, right. I don't have to rest today. Like I'll wash the bike or help with the pits. And and I think that's key. Is is the big teamwork. It is. That's actually a good point that you that you brought up uh, re- regarding um, you and I and Mongoose and how that worked. Is that GT was a bigger team. There was more riders, and um, they you know we were never left out or singled out or anything like that. But there was more focus put on them. So, you know, the team manager at the time, he had a lot more to think about with GT. You got, I don't know, four riders probably maybe, do, you know, doing several different events. So there's a lot more going on. So that I'd say, yeah, there was more importance placed on what was going on in GT. So often John at the time in 2006, uh, Agno, he was a team man. He would just kind of look over at me and be like, Hey, you got that? And he would trust me. We were good friends. And I was like, yeah. So it was it was more or less you and I really were looking out for each other the the whole time. You know, we you know, and um, and that uh, I think that just made, you know, made a it made a stronger bond, but but also helped with the results. And and it just kept us kept us on track, you know, and, uh, you know, I'd I'd often stay late in Monk. He uh, he had a lot to take care of on his own with, you know, a lot of the bikes. Um, so there's times where I would stay, stay late, not necessarily helping. I wasn't helping him work on the GT bikes, but just to be there, you know, so he kind of have a buddy in the pits. Um, and, uh, you know, that first year was a big learning curve for me. Um, what did you learn the most about what, what key takeaway can you give us from that first year when you were you know, new to the world cup circuit, what was different working on a world cup bike? or or a world cup weekend just the, the rep you know the repetition of everything um you know could just consistently you know getting very in tune with the bike i mean i i was a good bike mechanic at the time but i was never doing things in a, as, as consistently i guess you know on a you know on a daily basis as as you would on a world cup bike um you just learn so much about uh you know brakes brake bleeding different pads, uh, building wheels. I was always good at building wheels, but 
never did it, uh, you know, on a consistent basis, like I started doing at the races. Um, let's see, you know, s- suspension setup, you know, tire pressure, uh, and then just general, you know, like general setup of, of, of like the, of the cockpit where, you know, you want your brake levers and your bar angle. You start, I start to take note of that and, and then realize, you know, you know, I, you know, where you like your settings. And then also too, which was big for me was meeting more p- other mechanics on the circuit. And then of course, being close with rock shocks, you know, at first, you know, I remember at the, uh, the first race in Vigo, um, I hadn't really yet known, you know, John Dawson, um, or Jeremiah Bubar, and these guys working. And, you know, I was, uh, you know, John, uh, Agnew, he, had, he had brought me over and he goes, Hey guys, you know, this is, this is John, you know, uh, mongoose mechanic. I just want to kind of get you guys in the mix and this and that. And they were totally cool to me. And, and getting in with those guys helped a lot. That's when, you know, having that option of, you know, walking into the, the pits and asking for a spare part or, asking for help on how to bleed the brakes or, you know, what brake pads are working better, stuff like that. That's where I started to really, um, you know, you know, uh, associate with, with you know, more, more teams, more mechanics. And, and that, that was, I learned a lot that way. So again, that goes, that goes back to, that goes back to just taking the initiative to, you know, if you're, if you're super, you know, if you're super quiet and reserved and, and hesitant, that, that ain't going to cut it. Not, not on a, on a world-class stage like that. You got to be ready to move fast, talk fast, get after it, ask questions, you know, just get in there and figure out, you know, what it takes to, you know, to get, you know, to, uh, what the other top guys are doing, but, but also you got to be prepared. You got to make sure you got to know the product. You got to know your parts, your product, how it all works, you know, how soon you, you know, sp- spare parts, all that stuff. And, and that's where, you know, it didn't take me long where I was like, okay, all right. I, you know, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna walk in there and, and ask, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get right in and, and be friends with these guys. And then, you know, you start having beers with them after the race too. And then you, you know, you become closer friends and it just becomes, everybody comes closer more on the same page. And <clears throat> that's, that's really key too. But you spoke about, I mean, preparation has come out a lot. I think you cannot be a good mechanic or bike rider if you don't prepare and you don't think about all the options. And you also said something else is maybe that I wasn't aware of, but if you, you were new to it, um, as good as you were, there were things that you weren't aware of or you didn't know how to do because you were new to all these things and you weren't scared to ask. You weren't scared to go figure it out. And I think a lot of people would let the eagle or pride get in the way and go, well, I'm a World Cup mechanic now. I should know how to do this. Well, no, you're new to that style of mechanicing and sound like, well, when I wasn't looking, at least you were going and hustling, figuring it out and making Absolutely. a plan. And, and I think I do remember some of those things. We didn't always have, not the resources, but, you know, we had some bike issues here and there and, and uh, we can talk about it now because they don't make that bike anymore. So who gives a shit anyway? Um, but there was tough times for me and you, like we knew at a stage we didn't have a good enough bike. And we knew we had right. to make certain suspension adjustments which were outside the box. And I was maybe quite pushy because, you know, I wanted to do a job. And I think you were really good at going, okay, well, that's what he needs right now. i got to go make it happen. I don't know how. I don't know where I'm going to get it. But it seems Absolutely. like you, you took your initiative to figure it out. Oh, yeah. 
absolutely, man. And that's you gotta you gotta be able to swallow pride and uh, and ask for help and and figure out you know just go up to those that are that are better and dialed and have the ability to help you figure things out and and let them know what you're trying to achieve and and uh, and it, it just it helps it helps get where you need to be a lot quicker than instead of guessing or you know just you know, trying to wing it on your own. That's, that's not a good idea. I mean, that comes into play nowadays for me in the car world, uh, with painting and metal work. Um, you know, I still ask a lot of questions to the guys that are a lot better than me when I'm, when I'm a, a bit unsure about something I you know, and this is, this may be something I've already done pretty good, but if I'm still, I say, what about this and what settings are you using and this and that, and just kind of reaffirm things. And it, and it helps so much. And it's just, that's, that's a good, I think that's a good trait to have when you're be trying to become good at something is, is not be afraid to ask about, you know, technique and, um, how to get where you want to want to be. So what, um, do you have like the most annoying thing a rider needed or did? I'm probably one of them. I was pretty finicky with my brakes and the bar roll you mentioned, like, what are some things I would ask you to do or EC or someone you're like, I got to do this. This is so annoying. It doesn't make it like in your mind, it didn't make a difference. You're like, this guy's this, he's in his head. Like he doesn't actually need this, but he's asked me to do it. And like, God damn it. I now got to do it. Yeah. Shoot, man. I tell you, that's a tough one. Um, gosh, after all, I can't really remember anything that like I made you breaks a lot, didn't I? Yeah, that was never annoying, but yeah, I was going to say, so the, the brakes, the top off bleed, you know, we, um, you know, you, you'd come down, uh, and just, you know, want to, want to do another bleed. And I'm thinking, shoot, man, I just bled these things as, as good as I can. They're, they're perfect. You're like, ah, I know it's just not quite the right field. So, you know, boom, I just bust out the syringe and sometimes I'd only do it at the lever and try to get it right. And, you know, and I, I think I remember your, your front brake lever would always pull a little bit further than the back. Um, that's a good memory. So, it still does to yeah, this day. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, so th that's another thing too, is, is you, you start to remember certain things like that about your rider, about where things are going to be set. Because if I just bleed the brakes and put them even and be like, Hey man, you know, that's, that's how I bleed them. It feels good. You put it back to where you want. That ain't going to cut it. There's no time for that. You got to be, you got to be in your same zone where you can get back on that bike and get right back on the lift and go up there and, and have everything feeling the way it should. But, um, but yeah, the brake bleeds, uh, I remember. Um, and, uh, let's see, you know, we, you know, rock shocks, they would, they come over and help us with the fork. Sometimes I remember we, we throw the zip tie in the fork and kind of, kind of burp out the air. Uh, I know you, you would go back and forth sometimes between a spring and an air cartridge, depending on track, uh, you know, cutting tires. Uh, that was always a pretty big job to cut down the spikes. Um, you know, but sometimes we wouldn't even use them that, you know, that say that, that, that next day that we were planning, you wouldn't use them, but you know, it has to be done. Um, I can't think of anything else too, too annoying. Um, EC was very, uh, he was finicky about the brakes as well. Um, and then, uh, burning in brakes that always sucked to, if, when you put the new rotors on and the new pads, you know, and mechanics, you know, we, there's really no way to do it other than go ride around the bike, you know, go pedal up the hill, back down, drag the brakes, pedal. So 
you know, stuff like that. But yeah. So for the listener, the listener at home and, and hopefully we get some listeners that maybe aren't, you know, top, top riders or don't know too much about the brakes, but what he's meaning is, so we would have spare wheels and, and rotors say with spike tires and we had to prepare in case it rained. And often it did after practice before a final. And if the mechanic had put brand new rotors on because they're on the spare wheels and they weren't bent in, they wouldn't have any bite. I would have no stopping power. So I remember seeing you sweating off and down the pits. You'd been out burning in the rotors. So that was the preparation. Again, you might not use it, but you had to be ready. And speaking about the top of the course, can you try look back and, and what the feeling was like as a mechanic? I know exactly what it was like as a rider, what was going on in my head and music I was listening to and how nervous I was, even if you couldn't notice but as a mechanic, um, you know, say five minutes before the run and I'm, I wanted my goggles and I needed the water bottle and then I'm in the gate. What's it like leading up to me starting, say, the last 30 seconds and then when I'm gone, being at the top of the hill? Yeah, so that was a good question. Um, from what I can remember, I was usually pretty calm. Um, you know, obviously you're, you're, you're thinking about um, – well, I'm not necessarily thinking about your bike, about your race bike, because at that point, that needs to be that needs to be ready and dialed, no question, before we even leave the pits. There's nothing, you know, I was never up at the hill thinking, oh, did I tighten this, or is that right, or oh, I hope that makes it through. There's no way. No, not, not at a world-class level like that. You know, you got to be on point and make sure that thing is ready and safe for the rider. So I always knew your bike would be dialed. Um, I think I, I'd go through making sure, um, tire pressure is one, you know, we get to the top, sometimes the pressure change due to elevation. So, you know, you check the pressure, make sure that's dialed. Um, you know, before we leave the pits, you always got to, I always do my checklist of, of, you know, my, my backpack or my tool bag that I bring up with me, make sure I got my pressure gauge, all my Allen wrenches, zip ties, you know, tape, uh, towel to weight down the goggles, your energy, you know, your energy drink, water, food, uh, an umbrella in case it rains. Um, and you got to make sure you have all that because there's no time to have somebody else from the team come up the lift. So, you know, at the top of the hill, it was usually pretty calm. You're on the trainer. Uh, you know, I kind of let you be in your zone. You're listening to your music spinning. Um, you know, I'm looking around all the rest of the mechanics and riders are doing the same thing. We're looking at the weather at that point, I'm pretty calm. All I'm hoping for and wishing for is you have a good, clean run. The bike makes it through. And at that point, we've we've done the best we can, you know, to that point. Um, I would always, you know, you'd be in your zone, although I, we, we kind of keep a little bit of eye contact. I don't want to talk to you too much. There's, you know, ask you questions, this and that. It's more or less just be there to hand your water when you need it. Get a sip of water. Um, I'd have your goggles ready. Sometimes you maybe have a, you know, two sets, and you decide which one you want to wear at the, you know, at the last minute. And I'd have those all ready and, and wipe down clean for you. And um, and then uh, yeah, we walk to the start hut. You know, give you give you a high five, and you know, and and then just and then as soon as you go, you know, I'm you know at that point it's like okay. Cool, Are you ner- you know? You've got to be. Were you nervous? Because I've ca- I've golf caddied for a buddy of mine, so I'm just carrying the bag and cleaning the clubs is kind of similar to this mechanic thing. And when he steps up to hit a shot, like, I don't know if I'm nervous. I'm, I kind of feel like I'm in competition, but I don't have to hit the shot, which is great. So you don't right. have to go down the hill, but uh, you, you, you're emotionally 
involved. You know, you must be like, absolutely. You're like, this is awesome. Yeah. I want to run, but I'm nervous. But you don't have to fly down a mountain, obviously. Correct. So I, I wasn't. No, I wasn't too nervous. And and what I mean by that is I wasn't nervous from my part of the work. I was never nervous if if the bike was gonna you know, stay together or break or I and I I wouldn't get too nervous if you know about say you having a crash or anything like that. I I usually just I don't know. I think I, I for the most you know good part of the way I think is is I make that preparation and and then kind of see it through. I like to see things happen. I don't I don't think about things going wrong too often especially when you prepare and you get dialed right before you know, game time. So is it so, more like a level of excitement, maybe like when you're watching your favorite team, you're like, come on, they're going to do well. And then obviously if you hear I crashed, you're like, oh, shit, you know, shit, we didn't do well, but we tried. Who, who, yeah, you know, going, who knows, there may have been a few times maybe when I was nervous, but for the most part, there was a lot of times that I would, you know, um, I knew you were ready, you know, minutes before you took off and then we you know we kind of high five okay cool you're all good good luck boom and i'd walk a little bit down the hill and i'd even get my camera and film you coming out of the start gate you know and i have some you know i still have those videos and so at that point it's it's exciting i'm, I'm just stoked to see you on course and see you go down the hill and then at that point you know boom i go grab all my you know grab my backpack the trainer this and that and that was really before we, we were using walkie talkies um and uh you know, I would, uh, I'd come down and then, and then boom, then it, it would, that's when the, you know, the emotions would come say, like, Oh, how'd you do? How'd it go? You know, where'd you, you know, where'd you end up this and that. And then, then it would get kind of a little bit more intense of, you know, you know, how the bike work, what do we need to do for, you know, you know, say it was qualifying, what do we need to do for tomorrow's race run? Or if it was, if that was the race, you know, we would just see how it went and maybe what we need to do for, for next time but a lot of the times i think i was pretty excited just to be part of it you know yeah, i think that wore off on me i think you're always excited to be there and super positive which is a key key thing and I, with you telling me that story about you're at the top and i leave a, a lot of the listeners don't understand so the mechanics are at the top and sometimes they hang around to support their other mechanics yes of other teams and riders but you're all in it together that's the cool thing and sometimes you would get down like you're always down after I get down. So you basically do all the hard work. You're at the top and then you don't get to see the race. You don't get to see the big screens, hear the commentary as much. Sometimes there's some commentary at the top. But it brings me to the point like it's such a critical job and you guys work so hard and sometimes don't always get thanked for it because you play a vital role in the success of an athlete, the success of a team. And and I, I enjoyed that process with you and and I, I don't think people at home know how hard a mechanic has to work. You're, you're up early. And that brings me to some of the next segment is I have some untold stories I've been asking the riders. And thank goodness this one popped into my head because it's a gem. So your your preparation led you to the point that you, you would be late at the pits and you had to sometimes bring your work home to the hotel room, and sometimes we would share a room, and that was fun for me. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, I know. It. So we were good at switching off, having a good time at dinner, and 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 resetting. But then you said you had to build some wheels. So that's no problem. And then it kind of got a little bit late, and I was like, "Snipes, like I'm too, super appreciative, but there's no ways I'm going to be able to sleep if you have the lights on to build this wheel. Like, what are we going to do?" You said, "Dude, don't worry about it. You know, um, I'll just go in the bathroom." I'm like, oh, I don't feel good about that. You're like, you got to sleep. 
And you you fell asleep and I used to take the piss. You fell asleep at the wheel I used to talk about. It. So you're building this wheel in the bathroom and you fell asleep building a wheel. I know, man. That was we. That was just yeah. Hey, we had to make it happen. You know, you, you needed to sleep. Uh, I wanted, you know, I I wanted to have my headphones on, build the wheel, do so. I I took the truing stand inside of the small little bathroom, and I'm building the wheel inside of the bathroom. And I I think I got it built, but yeah, I ended up falling asleep. <laughs> I fell asleep at the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness, it was a bicycle wheel, and not the dually truck. Oh man. Does that make you um, that, think of um, some untold stories that maybe people don't know what what happens behind the scenes as a mechanic or you know life on the road? Oh gosh, there's so there's so many um, so many funny ones. Gee, just from oh gosh, it's tough to. Oh, well, here's here was one funny one. Um, it was it was the first. It was my first race, Vigo '06. Um, yeah. I didn't know about things getting stolen, you know, the World Cup, you know, World Cup races. So we got extra boxes and stuff laying around and uh, bike boxes, which we'd, you know, save, obviously, to pack the bikes up and go to the, the next race. But uh, also, too, there was there was a spare frame, spare uh, ECX frame that we, we had, either ECs or yours, that we brought with us, just for spare parts. And, you know, and that night, um, you know, I just, I put it right under my workbench and, uh, you know, they talk about security, the races, this now we had these big dome tents and, uh, anyhow that, you know, I leave the, leave the bike, bike box in and I think oh, it'll be fine. And, you know, I think maybe the GT guys, they, they put theirs in, but I was like, ah, no, I'll be fine. So the next morning we come and all, but you know, the boxes are gone, frame's gone and you know, shit, man. I remember, uh, I remember Brent was giving me a hard time. He's like, what are you doing, man? can't be leaving stuff out i was like dude i don't know he's like well you can't do that dude you're a mechanic listen that and then ec comes in, hey break it up listen you know he didn't know his first race and so that was funny um let's see also too something uh i remember about about vigo and bike boxes is this this is about monk uh we go to uh him and i go to fly out and you know he always brought a lot of stuff man a lot of boxes a lot tons of tough Oh man, tons of tires and this and that, you know, and uh, so we're him and I are getting ready to fly back to LA, and um, he's at the ticket booth, and and the ticket agent is is uh, is asking him, uh, said something about the about the box, told told him, told him to put an address on the box. Okay, so all these, you know, it's like, hey, listen, we, you know, you got to put an address on your on your box in case it gets in case it gets lost, you know. And Monk had these stickers, you know, and uh, of him, you know, these little cartoon stickers. And I remember he told the guy, he's like, well, I got my sticker on there. And the guy goes, no, you need a dress. He goes, that's me. Everybody knows me. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so funny. And I kind of I kind of was quiet. I was like, no, Monk, dude, you need to. But you just need to put the address, dude. The sticker's not not enough. That's what he's saying. He goes, fool, everybody knows me. That's me. Right there, it'll get there. It'll get there. They know me in L.A. And uh, dude, he was dead set. He just didn't even want to put the address on the box. <laughs> um, dude, bless him, eh? So, for the listener that doesn't know Monk Dog, I mean, he was that big of a star and icon in the mountain bike world. He worked for the likes of I'm gonna butcher some of the previous names, but 
Kurt Voris, Brian Lopes, Joel Kittner, Aaron Gwynn. He he worked for nearly every factory team. So he had probably the most you know world titles as a mechanic, and uh, and he was a and he was a Mexican descent, and and he actually is the epitome of resilience, I would say, and grit because yes. he had some health problems as a youngster and spent many years in, in traction far more than any of us would probably ever have been able to survive. And and he worked his way up as a good rider and then a, and a great mechanic. So we all, we, we miss him dearly. He's not with us anymore. And if you can Google, Google some stuff with, we called him monk dog. And uh, that's actually a great, great, uh, hopefully a tribute to him having you on, but able to speak about some of the things monk monk did. And uh, I remember that guy, we were in an airport, and he was that type of guy. He like everything to him, nothing phased him really. Like he and it was quite a good life lesson. He's like, it'll work out. He's like, whatever, my bag will get there. Now some people would say you've got to put your address on, otherwise it won't. But knowing him, it probably would have got there. And other things, we're in the airport. We walk, remember we're all walking through the airport and we're like, okay, we need to get some food. And we're like, man, we're late for this flight. And we're like, come monk, we've got to go. And I mean, we're really late. We're talking five minutes till I don't know, the plane takes off, let alone boarding. And he just looks at me and he goes, fool, I ain't running for no airplane. I was like, monk, like the, the airplane's not going to wait for you. So I got to go. Like the team's not going to be happy if I miss my flight. Fool, I ain't running for no airplane. And lo and behold, they hold the plane. If he makes the flight, of course they do. Like it all works out for him. So it's a good tribute to the legendary monk dog. And I think anyone that is a, a mountain biking fan know, should know of him. Oh, dude, he was classic. I mean, he'd walk on the plane and, uh, you know, he'd be all dressed up with, uh, you know, his Oakley, uh, the glasses that had the speakers, you know, on the, you know, they had the built-in speakers and stuff. Uh, and, you know, people, dude, people thought maybe he was like a rapper, you know. There was, there was times where I'd be like, dude, that, you know, I hear, you'd hear people say that, hey, that's somebody, <laughs> you know. And he did. He just, you know, he just he had a yeah. He had a he had a cool uh, cool look and a cool character too. Yeah, him. he had the biggest biggest heart. I I just remember just so many cool things he did. He took me under the wing. To be honest, I owe a lot to him. When I first came over in two thousand three, I went over to Seattle and, and and my late dad at the time was working there, and he brought me over, and I kind of arrived there with the bike full of well box full of parts and and somehow through a connection with old gt days because i got some help from them back when uh reg Brent, so thanks to him and, and our friends at home connected me to monk and said you know maybe you can build your bike behind the truck and and from that day and then from global racing modern white had connection with monk and asked monk if i could if he could transport my bikes and he didn't owe me anything he owed me he owed me nothing Yes, he could help an old friend and, and Martin asked for some help, but he was so, so kind to me, you know, and he kind of took me under his wing. So big tribute and big thanks to to the late Monk Dog. Absolutely, man. That was, uh, yeah, he was he was awesome. Um, trying to think of uh, some other funny stories. Here's one that came to mind. Um, it was uh, Worlds, New Zealand, uh, 2006. You, you were already in South Africa. You had flown. From, from home from Cape Town uh, and I flew out of LA this was the end of end of the season again mongoose and you know and GT um, so I believe it was uh, I don't know if Agnew I think it was what I remember is is this kind of funny is that uh, I, I had 
think I had a, a company credit card at that time to pay for pay for expenses for you and I, boxes, air, you know, uh, luggage and stuff, baggage at the airport, food and all this stuff. But uh, I'm, you know, I accrued some some points with the airlines from from that whole season, and I never really kept track. So on the flight to uh, to New Zealand, I believe it was from LA, uh, I got an upgrade and to first class or business class, business class. And uh, to me, that was a big deal. They're like, oh yeah, you know, because it's because I paid, I pay for all the boxes. That's what it was. You know, and I think Jill and Bryn at the time, they, they were, they were on the same flight. Um, I'm not sure who else, but you know, so I paid for their boxes too. And so I was, boom, I pay for it all. And then, you know, they saw, you know, ticket agent saw what I paid for all the boxes. She's like, Hey, it's your lucky day. You know, I'm going to upgrade you to business class. And I'm thinking, oh, killer. You know, and usually the protocol would be the mechanic would always kind of give a seat to uh, to the athlete, you know, so they can rest properly. Well, you know, you're my boy, and you're you're not there, so I'm thinking, shit, I'm taking that seat, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but that was that wasn't the only you know, it, time. I remember two or three times because you always had to pay for baggage, and often it was like the group, not just me and you, and we're talking two thousand dollars, three thousand dollars, huh? So they loved you big time, dude. So I get the perk from that and they, you know, they give me a good seat. And I just remember that, that flight that I remember, this is funny. I remember Jill was so mad. She was like, well, why do you get that seat? Cause I said, cause I pay for it. She was like, yeah, but you know, and what she was really trying to say, well, you're just a mechanic. And I'm thinking, I'm taking that seat. <laughs> Today I'm business class mechanic. Yeah, we yeah we got a long flight. Like I'm I'm sorry. So I just kind of played dumb and <laughs> and I dude I never. Hey, I got I got up out of that business seat and I went back. I think I walked back through coach, you know, to go use the bathroom or something. And she just gave me a dirty look and I was just like, shit, man, business class is nice up there. <laughs> but just yeah, it was all in good fun. I think it's good. I think for all the shit that mechanics do have to take and, and the long hours and not getting a lot of thanks for it, maybe you were like, you know what? This I'm standing up for mechanics of the circuit to stick it to the riders for once. I'm having me that business seat. Yeah, end of the season, you know, it's it's a long flight. And uh, yeah, man, you know, we do. We do work hard. and Because um... unfairly, like if um... – I mean, I remember, like, even if I had smashed a rock and ridden, say, the wrong line, I got a flat, you know, even if I'm nice to you and I'm like, yeah, dude, I, like, kind of hit the rock, but, like, I kind of got a flat, like, maybe the pressure was wrong, like, you're going to get some of the blame, even if it's the rider's fault. Oh, yeah. You're going to, like, oh, take yeah. the blame yourself, or the rider's going to blame you so that he's, like, looks better to the team manager, and the mechanics kind of, you're like, you're always in shit anyway. Totally. Oh, yeah, I, I had that happen, and... uh Shit, I had that happen with with some other riders too, where they'd get a flat in a race, and uh, you know, and and be bummed, and then be like, hey, you know, did uh, did you put enough sealant in that tire? I was like, absolutely, just as I normally would. Ah, I don't know, man. I, you know, I don't know if there's enough sealant in that tire because I got a flat. You know. <laughs> Meanwhile, they come blasting through the rock garden, you know, <laughs> and everybody's like, dude, he came through there like berserk, just going way too fast. But boom, boom. And then he, you know, he's like, ah, oh, dude, I don't know. I think it's really, I mean, I don't want to say it, but it's your fault. I got the fun. <laughs> dude, we did everything the way we do it. So, um, yeah, that's a tough one. I think because athletes definitely, if, if you want to, you know, perform at a top level, confidence is quite fickle and, and you shouldn't be 
blaming other people, but I think it's we're quite quick to shift the blame or hope that someone else will take it so that you don't have to blame yourself to kind of keep that confidence. But unjustly so, you you as the mechanic, that's kind of your role. Sometimes you you got to eat it, and uh, that's yeah probably why you took the business class seat, man. Totally, totally, and and you know, and that didn't happen too often. But there was times, there would be times where, say, um, like I said, you and I had a pretty good record. Um, I remember that, you know, and I think our final race was in was in Leo Gang or no, not Leo Gang, uh, Schladming, Schladming, in uh, two thousand eight. And, uh, and that's when we kind of knew that, you know, our, our season was coming to the end. And, uh, I was just thinking, man, like three years all over the world, you know, and very few mistakes in practice or race. And that was, that was a big deal. You know, that was, that was, I've enjoyed bench racing with you. I've enjoyed our time together and what a bonus of, of starting something like this. And hopefully we added some value to the listener at home. We've had a good time, but you know, the mechanic is a huge part of this race industry. He wears a lot of hats, and uh, I look forward to you know catching up with some more. And and really, thank you for your time. And I think guys, make sure you go check thank out you. your Kanipa Customs on Instagram now. I saw yeah yeah Kanipa Customs. So I'm I'm building custom cars, nineteen forties, fifties, sixties classic cars, uh, California style. They sit really low. Uh, I do metal work, welding, I do body work and paint, the whole deal, chassis, suspension, air suspension, um, custom painting. And I've also started to dabble in custom painting bike frames. So uh, you can see that on my Instagram page. Uh, just uh, last year, I did a really nice downhill frame for Kevin Aiello um, and did it in some cool purples and pinks with some fades. And it turned out really, really nice. I think it rivals any of the world champs bikes. And it's, again, it's all, all hand painted. Um, and then I recently did a GT frame for myself too. And like some cool, like a cool teal and black theme with, uh, some cool fades. And, uh, and I do helmets. I've done a helmet, did a helmet for Brian Lopes, um, for his, uh, world's race last year in St. Anne. I did a DH helmet for him. Uh, I did, uh, I did some work, quite a bit of work on Cam Zink's 59 Cadillac. Yeah, and you've done some work with McGrath on, on some, some yeah. of his bikes and trikes. So Yeah, um, I've worked with Jeremy McGrath, uh, Cam Zink, Brian Lopes, uh, and uh, yeah, man, Devil and all sorts of stuff. You know, And again, all my time in, uh, as a bike mechanic has is, is kind of uh, you know, crossed over to my skills in the car. And that's just being you know, clean and organized and uh, dialed everything, taking pride and work and uh yeah it's been uh it's been a great experience and yeah to this day i'm uh, i'm super thankful for what the mountain bike scene and lifestyle has done for me you know i get to travel all over the world with some great friends uh many of which who are really good friends today uh, i still love mountain biking i ride a couple of days a week uh i love it just as much if not more than i ever did um it's great man. just it's an awesome healthy lifestyle and most of my core friends to this day are bike-related people. So even though I'm, I'm deep into the cars, I love the craft of fabricating and building cars, but I have so much time invested into the mountain bike uh, industry um, that I, you know, I still maintain those friendships, and I, uh, I value it very much. It's been awesome. Well, Kanifs, that's a great way to end this. I, I knew I had to get you on for your passion in the bikes and, and what you can give to the listeners. So thanks so much for your time, and I look forward to hopefully sometime soon sitting down face-to-face. Thanks Absolutely. Again. Likewise. Have a good one. Thank you.
Well, there you have it. Thanks so much to John Kniepa for coming on the show, having a chat with me, sharing his story. I hope it inspires you guys, motivates you to go out there, follow those dreams, and put the work in. That's hopefully what we can get out of this podcast. Educate you, inspire you. Hey, just entertain you with a bit of a laugh here and there. Then I'm doing my job. So thanks again for the ratings, reviews. If you haven't done so, click the subscribe button, give me a review, share it with a friend if you like the episode. And thanks for tuning in though. Until the next one, stay well.